Alright guys, so we are recording on Cinco de Mayo for the second year in a row. Oh. For fun, I decided to look back and see what episode we recorded one year ago today. Ooh. And I want you guys to guess what it is, and I'm going to give you some hints. Okay? okay? Richard Nixon. It wasn't Richard Nixon. I know why you're thinking that. And that reason is because during the recording of the episode that we recorded on Cinco de Mayo, I drank a 32-ounce margarita over the course of it. Oh, man. Oh. Yes. Yes. And I listened to the episode today, and I'm going to go ahead and say I think it's our most vulgar episode. Hanna-Barbera? No. Hanna-Barbera is pretty, pretty vanilla. Is it? Um, I remember getting real amped up at some point during Hanna-Barbera. Well, this one, this one's <laughs> like worse than I remember. I listened back to it and I was like, oh man, we don't, we try to avoid those words and we are just going for it. I remember one that was um, bad, but I don't know which episode it was. I think okay. Nixon was the most inebriated I've been for an episode. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I it feel wasn't like we kind of stopped doing that after Nixon. So that makes me think that's before. Is it no, not before? It was Nixon? after. It was it was a couple episodes after. Oh, um, and OK, here's the biggest hint of all. Hmm. The episode ends with me rage quitting the episode and Colin has to do the outro. Oh, no. I remember that, but I don't know what episode. The thing is, I remember this. and I don't think that episode was that long ago. This was one year ago today, boys. Okay, Man. well, I think you're just going to have to tell it to us. It's uh, Converse. Converse? Really? I do the outro on Converse. Yeah. Yep. I'm going to have to re-listen to that episode. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> a lot while. more rough than I remember. I was listening to it. I was like, oh, man. Yikes. I okay. mean, maybe we shouldn't be telling people to listen to it. Or maybe we'll just have to go back and ghost edit it. Don't listen to that one. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> ghost yeah. edits where we go back and we retroactively edit something. So... Y'all want to get into the episode? Yeah, let's do it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to I Really Wish You Had. <laughs> I'm Michael Bentley, and I'm here with Cayman McMahon. Uh, hola! And as always, our producer, Colin Moore. Empanada. Yes, <laughs> no... <laughs> No, no, no. it's no, okay. No, no, I, I no, just no. ate an empanada for Cinco de Mayo. Well, there you go. <laughs> okay. So today, Cayman's talking to us about Broken Arrows, which I have to assume is uh, his regrets about starting an archery hobby. Yeah, nailed it. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, so Broken Arrows are a little different, and I'll get into it, but I got a little bit of a lead up. That does remind me, though, Michael did used to be a uh, archery instructor. I was so. an archery instructor. They gave me a whistle and said, you're an archery instructor now. And I was like, I've never shot a bow and arrow. And they're like, ah, you'll be fine. What what Cayman's failing to mention is it was all children under the age of 12. They handed bow and arrows to and had me teach them. And I don't know anything about archery. I was working nice. in an after school program. It was a very, very weird situation. And there there were a lot of broken arrows then. Well, luckily for everyone here, broken arrows instance don't actually have to do anything with archery. But I'll just hop into it because this story in particular starts as all great stories do uh, with a syphilis stricken loser named Adolf Hitler. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I said it. I called Hitler a loser. Wow. 
That's a hot take. So brave. That's a hot take. <laughs> I want I want it to be known that Cayman does not speak for the entire uh I really wish you hadn't team. He speaks for me. I'm just saying it's not the whole team. What whoa, whoa now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what we're saying is Colin's a Nazi. <laughs> All right. See, for those who don't know, Hitler was a bit of an abhorrent racist who hated everyone who wasn't Aryans. Hmm. This is news to me. And those of Jewish lineage especially. Hmm. Some of the Jewish people living in Germany when Hitler rose to power saw the writing on the wall and got the hell out of Dodge while they still could. Therefore, two months after Adolf Hitler's rise to power, Hungarian-born physicist Leo Slizzard moved to England. And I would just like to say, Slizzard's a dope last name, and I'm all about it. I was gonna say that. Like, yeah. that was about to be my comment. His name is Leo Slizzard. That's metal. Leo Slizzard should be a DJ. DJ Leo Slizzard. Leo Slizzard is like the name that like a guitarist in a metal band would make up for himself. Yeah. But that's this dude's actual name. So regardless, Hungarian-born Jewish physicist moves to England to kind of escape the Nazi regime. It was here on the 12th of September, 1933, that while waiting to cross the road near Russell Square in London, Slizzard would have an idea that would change the world. Slizzard's idea was essentially this. If an atom that was split by neutrons in the process admitted two more neutrons, then the mass of this element would emit vast amounts of energy in a self-sustaining chain reaction. Essentially, boom. Within a few years... Hold on, can we, can we talk about that statement? Because I've, yeah. really, I've never really understood how an atom bomb works. So the idea is that you split an atom that becomes two... Like, you're creating... You use one neutron okay. to split an unstable atom. Okay. And it shoots out two or more neutrons, which split other unstable atoms. And it's a chain reaction. Okay. I'm so, just going to accept that I will not understand it. No, 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 no. Because I'll, I'll talk about it more. Okay. So within a few years, with World War II raging on, Slizzard was in New York and realized if this process was completed with an element named uranium, which is incredibly unstable. Who isn't? That just one kilogram of the metal, one kilogram of uranium, if you use this process where you made the chain reaction, all that uranium would burn up and produce the same explosion as 20,000 tons of TNT. Slizzard was not eager to proceed with these findings once he realized what could happen, uh, but he also knew that if the Allies did not utilize this breakthrough, that the German scientists would soon make the discovery themselves, and they would have a whole lot less hesitation about using this process to gain the edge in the war effort. And there's more to touch on there, because there definitely were German scientists working for the Nazis that may have like held up the process of the atom bomb. But that's that's a whole nother episode, maybe, and I'm really glad you did. So what you're saying is the uh, the there were Nazis who were like, this is pretty evil. We can't do this. Right. But then the Americans are like, yeah, we can. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think our I think our scientists felt like they had more of a high ground to use it. We didn't instigate the war. We were trying to stop the war. And that's that's the difference. Right. So to this effect, on the 16th of July, 1945, the U.S. successfully tested the first nuclear bomb in the New Mexico desert. And I will like to point out, that means that the first country that the U.S. dropped the atom bomb on was the United States. Well, did they drop it? Yeah, they dropped it. Really? 
I just yeah, imagine on, they just was, like set it on the ground and then like ran away and then. If I remember correctly, it was on like scaffolding, uh-huh. kind of like what holds the rocket. Does it have to drop? I think they wanted to make sure that the drop would do it. Okay. I, I could be wrong. I know that they did do tests like that. I'm fairly certain that's how the first atomic bomb test went. I will say, I've been to a nuclear testing site. They have like a museum there now in uh, in Las yeah. Vegas. It's really cool. Yeah, and that's why Michael can't have children anymore. Yep. Yeah, it has nothing to do with the fact that he's bald. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I'm bald, and I haven't been to a nuclear You're married, uh, facility. No, 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 no. Uh, well, it's not, no, no, it's no. not uh, he's saying I can never find a partner who would have children with me because I'm bald. Because he's bald. To be fair, I'm bald. But you're oh, married. Oh, 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 I thought you yeah, were saying I can the never have children. I can never have children. Bald. No, I'm because saying I'm because bald. he's bald, he won't have children. Right. Oh. <laughs> the joke is I will uh, I will die alone. <laughs> Don't worry, I have hair and I'll die alone too. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> we're like a paragraph to, a paragraph in, and we're <laughs> struggling to stay on topic. Cinco de Mayo has taken its toll on Colin. You know what's more of a tragedy what? than the dropping of the atomic bomb? What? <laughs> Mine and Colin's love lives. Fair. <laughs> Completely fair. <laughs> All right. uh, let's 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 go let's go it's cinco de mayo baby right. so yeah hiroshima japan the city was left in near total destruction three days later the japanese city of nagasaki shared the same fate which prompted the japanese government to surrender you know what the funniest part is i'm pretty sure you intended this part of the episode to be somber <laughs> i mean no these are facts that everyone knows i'm right. just i'm uh, catching yeah. us up okay. i'm building up yeah. building right, up right 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 so, with this massive power, obviously the world was forever changed. Mm-hmm. And everyone knew that the atomic bombs were now the big boy on the block. Right. Very conveniently for the United States, we were the only country that had them. And we damn sure weren't letting anyone else get privy on how to make them. The U.S. cracked down hard on information surrounding the bomb and who had access to what secrets. And they compartmentalized like different aspects of the bomb, all in order to guarantee that our secrets stayed safe. So the same year, Russia had obtained blueprints of the U.S. atomic bomb, and by 1949, they had successfully built and tested it. Okay, well, that's still a pretty big gap in time, right? Because, I mean, 1945 is when we dropped the bomb? Right, and that same year, Russians pretty much got the blueprint. Yeah, but they still, just had it to, still like, took test around. four years to get there, you know? Like... That's still yeah, a pretty yeah, yeah. big gap, you know? I, I still think it's commendable. I mean, because you have to imagine there are people who were against the idea who were like, we're going to tell the world what's going on here, you know, like what you're trying to do. Well, also you have to, I think another part that's important to point out here, yes, it did take them four years, but Russia got absolutely wrecked by the war. That's true too. So they had to rebuild. So here's my question though. Of all the like nuclear testing they did before they dropped the bomb on Japan, did nobody see that? Like none of, like no civilians ever were like that's a giant mushroom cloud. I mean we were out in the middle of the desert. That's true, but still like, I mean I feel the like the US is we forget how vast the US is. It's massive. Yeah. It's stupid. Like England, I'm fairly certain, is pretty much just as long as Tennessee, a little bit fatter. Yeah. Like, it's crazy how big the U.S. is. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, it's fun to look at, like, the United Kingdom over Texas. Like, people have made maps, and yeah, and it is not. 
is uh, it's bonkers it's crazy like even cutting out alaska yeah so yeah the u.s has atomic bombs and now russia has an atomic bomb so uh welcome to the cold war baby Immediately, both the U.S. and the USSR began rapidly producing larger and better bombs as fast as they could. Unsurprisingly, the U.S. was better at it <laughs> uh, because we hadn't been ravaged by a war. It's because we had more Nazis. Yeah, and we had more Nazis. <laughs> we'll get into Operation Paperclip at some point. It will be an episode, but we're saving it. Yeah. By 1950, the U.S. had nearly 300 atomic bombs and the USSR had two. Now, they had just dropped one the year prior, but still were outpacing them. Now, with this many A-bombs in the U.S.'s arsenal, it wouldn't be long before a mistake or two happened, and as such, we have... Hold on. Did you just say the U.S.'s arsenal? No. <laughs> it sounded like it, No, I yeah. said the U.S.'s arsenal. That's what it sounded like, and that is a great name for it. The U.S.'s arsenal. But is it the U.S.'s arsenal or the U.S.S.R.'s arsenal? It's I don't know. It's the U.S.'s arsenal. Okay, but when you say U.S.'s arsenal, arsenal, it sounds like U.S.S.R. Arsenal. Arsenal, which is <laughs> solid. All right, I, all right. I don't right, know right, how that's not the name of like a Russian metal band. <laughs> U.S.S. Arsenal. Okay, here's where I fix it. Now with this many A-bombs in the United States arsenal, there we go. it wouldn't be long before a mistake or two happened. And as such, we have made it to the true subject matter of this episode, Broken Arrow Incidents. Which we're only 15 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> so Broken Arrow Incidents are defined as any unexpected event involving nuclear weapons or nuclear components that result in accidental firing, launching, use, detonation, contamination, or any sort of public hazard. And there have been quite a few. Unfortunately, today I won't be able to cover them all, because that's how many of quite a few there have been. But I have selected a few of the best for you fine folks. I'm also going to be keeping it strictly on the U.S.-NATO side, since our accidents are a lot more transparent than those of the USSR. Not saying they're completely transparent, but a little bit more transparent than the USSR. And uh, we also have enough content just on the U.S.-NATO side that there's no need to conjecture here hey it means that it leaves the doors open for a part two right <laughs> always leave room for a sequel <laughs> yeah we can have broken arrow uh, ussr edition uss arsenal edition nice solid callback all right so let's start going through the incidents we're just gonna get straight into it now the first broken arrow incident occurred on february 14th 1950 a mere five years after the first nuclear detonation well First, after after the first, like, in war, right? Like, was was that the first no, time? No, we, we detonated 45, and then we dropped them 45. Really? Damn. That was quick. I mean, hell, as, long as, as soon as you nuke the desert, you're like, eh, it does what it's supposed to do. Let's get it out there. Well, yeah, we successfully tested on the 16th of July, and we dropped the first bomb on the 6th of August, so not even a month. Jesus, I get. I mean, yeah. I mean, what what really is there to test? You know, we like, yeah, we had it, and we were like, we're ending this war with Japan right now. Like, we're tired of war. It make boom. Yeah. So we make boom. So the first broken arrow incident occurred on February fourteenth, nineteen fifty, mere five years after the first nuclear detonation. Mm -hmm. On that particular morning, a group of Convair B thirty sixes were preparing for a practice mission where they would simulate a full scale strike against the Soviet Union. Each B-36 was to conduct a simulated nuclear attack on an American city and, you know, just pretending it was Moscow, Stalingrad, or something. Wait, hold on. What does that mean? 
So they're simulating they're simulating that they're going to drop a bomb. They're essentially flying up to the city like Okay, I thought you meant they're simulating that a US city had been bombed. No, no, no. Okay, no, no, no. okay, okay. They're yeah. So to simulate the conditions of the USSR, each plane started at Ilsen Air Force Base, mm-hmm. which if you don't know is our most I believe our most northernmost Air Force is Base. It in it's up Alaska? in sunny, sunny Alaska. Okay. Yeah. It's actually a pretty popular one. I think I think it's fairly decently sized. If it's not, then it comes up a lot mm-hmm. in my readings. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure there was something with that one with Cuban Missile Crisis, right? Where they like flew over the line that they weren't supposed to fly over. Yeah. And they, they couldn't find their way back, and they were just flying over Russia. Russia was like, what is this U.S. plane doing? Like, Right. So, And I guess that's the reason why Ilsen Air Force Base is there, um, yeah. because Alaska is super close to Russia. Yeah, you can see it from from your house if you Sarah Palin's house yeah. right yeah oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we're all tired of making fun of Sarah Palin let's there's plenty of other great politicians to move on to yeah it's an eight it's no god it's way way more than eight years god how long has it been now Thir- it's a 13 year old joke and it's still <laughs> yeah. funny yep okay so one of these planes that was taking off on this day with the designation 44-92075. Uh, write that down. Chalk it down as a note. I'm yep. kidding. Don't actually I've already do that. Got it. It's not, yep. it's not it's important. 44-92-075. That was close. 44-92-075. Uh, <laughs> 44-92075. I was close. You put the dash in You are. You are. So this flight experienced some minor difficulties before takeoff, but decided to continue ahead anyways. Uh, the crew's plan was to fly over the North Pacific, due west of the Alaska Panhandle and British Columbia, and then head over Washington State and Montana towards its target in L.A. Uh, and then on, it would fly to Fort Worth in Texas. Wow, that's some distance. Yeah, they can they can fly forever. Huh. And also, they can refuel in the air, which is even better. Yeah. The plane was equipped with a Mark IV atomic bomb. So, after six hours into the mission... The B-36 Wait, began to have issues. Wait, they put real atomic bombs in these things? They put real Why? atomic bombs. Well, well, we'll get to it. It's not as bad as it sounds. It sounds pretty bad. <laughs> so after six hours into the mission, the B-36 began to have issues. And by issues, I mean that three of the six engines began shooting flames and the other three engines began running on limited power. Hmm. So at an altitude of 12,000 feet, which is a little lower than they wanted to be, the crew determined that the only solution was to abandon their gradually descending aircraft. Uh, what? They, you're, they're just going to jump out of it? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, I mean, there's, there's more. Uh, okay. So, in order to both cut some weight and also avoid dropping a live bomb on an unsuspecting passerby... The atomic bomb was jettisoned and detonated in midair, resulting in a large conventional explosion over the Pacific. Now, notice I said conventional. Well, that is because the bomb thankfully didn't have its plutonium core used to achieve fission. It just had some natural uranium and 5,000 pounds of old school explosives. Okay, so they didn't detonate like a big boy A bomb. They just detonated a bomb. Right. I mean, it's still a big bomb. A bomb um, on steroids, just but a normal right. bomb, not a... Yeah. Well, the, also, the other worrying part is it did have uranium. It had natural uranium. Right. So they just they just nuked the ocean a little bit. Yeah, and, you know, 
the nuclear waste isn't always the best, but it's fine. Yeah. Uh, so the plane then turned around so that the crew would not have to parachute into the cold ocean below. Before bailing out last, the captain set a turning course. What do you mean they turned around? So they're they're just they're planes descending. They're not keeping altitude. Right. So they go out over the ocean, descending the entire time, drop the bomb. They okay. start descending slower because the bomb was heavy. Right. And they're coming back over land to hop out. So, to, to crash the plane into no, land? No, because, because, because before bailing out last, the captain set a turning course toward the open ocean using the autopilot on the plane. Okay. Well, I, all right. There you go. Big what? brain. All right. That's how plane work, Michael. Essentially, they just had the foresight to say we're not going to be able. So to we're going to go out. We're going to go out over the ocean. We're going to drop the bomb, blow it up, come back to the land. I'll hop out and then send the plane going back to the ocean. Yep. Right, and they 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 determined that they should do this at twelve thousand feet. So that gave them enough time with how how gradually the plane was falling. Right. So up until the plane was abandoned, the crew had been able to maintain radio communication with SAC. That is Strategic Air Command. Yeah. If you don't know what Strategic Air Command, I think that we've talked about Strategic Air Command in another episode, haven't we? I don't know. Maybe not. Essentially, they're the ones that handled all of our bombs and like how we're going to handle Russia type stuff. So SAC was in contact with the Royal Canadian Air Force because this happened incredibly close to Canada because there's a gap between Alaska and continental U.S. and that gap is Canada. Uh, so they quickly launched Operation Bricks. We to... cannot allow a continental gap. <laughs> I don't think they were worried about that. But the Royal Canadian Air Force quickly launched Operation Bricks to find the missing men. Unfortunately, due to poor weather conditions, only 12 of the 17 passengers on the plane were found alive. What? The five deceased airmen were believed to have bailed out of the aircraft earlier than the surviving crew members and probably accidentally landed in the ocean and drowned. Oh my god. They got eaten by mutant fish? Mutated by radiation? <laughs> Godzilla, man. Oh my god. Oh, by the way, because I'm gonna have to get up on this high horse at some point, so I may as well knock it out early. The problem with the new Godzilla movies is that the whole point of Godzilla is that nuclear waste made Godzilla, and it was the, the, the original idea was to be like, hey, here's a warning about nuclear waste and why we should be careful with it. No, it was literally an allegory for the nuclear bomb. Exactly. And they just threw all that out the window in the new movies, and the new movies weren't even good. I've gotten it out there now. I've gotten it out okay. there now, We're, and I'm... the whole hollow earth thing was dumb. So brave. This is so brave. <laughs> so since it was believed that the plane flew and crashed into the Pacific, an extensive search for the plane was never performed. Three years later, however, a Royal Canadian Air Force search party for a lost Texas millionaire oil man named Ellis Hall uh, spotted the B-36 wreckage on the side of a mountain. It was found surprisingly intact, which of course is not a good thing for a plane that probably has a bunch of nuclear secrets on it. So it took two separate American search parties weeks to reach the site. Once they did, they recovered any classified information and tactically destroyed the plane with explosives. Canadian authorities were never told that the aircraft was carrying a nuclear weapon, but only found out once the incident was declassified in 1980. As you can imagine, that's probably not great news considering nuclear waste dropped on your shore. <laughs> so, yeah. 
So that's the first Broken Arrow instant. That we know of. Another Broken Arrow instant wouldn't occur for almost an entire um, two months. That's good. Uh, We're killing it. (laughs) Yeah, so during this incident, a plane carrying a nuclear bomb collided with a mountain. Okay, you said this would come up. Why why are we still putting nukes on them? Uh, Well, this one... This wasn't a training mission. No, this wasn't a training mission. Okay. This was okay. just a plane that was supposed to be in the air. But wait, did you ever explain why we were putting nukes on a training mission? So that that one was because they'd taken out the plutonium core and they wanted it to be accurate. But that still doesn't explain. Well, because because it was kind of like an endurance mission for the plane. Put cinder blocks on it. So that's why it. they no, that's why they took off at Il- Ilson, Il- Ilson Air Force Base, okay. where it was very cold right. to simulate Russia, okay. and they flew over cold towards a city. To, with the full payload to see, like, can the planes handle it? Still make it to Texas, back to the rendezvous. Put air, put put center blocks on it. Don't put a bomb on it. Yeah, you they probably shouldn't have put a bomb on it. But, you know, realism, it's important. Okay. So, during this incident, a plane carrying a nuclear bomb collided with a mountain. While the nuclear bomb's conventional explosives detonated, the core was recovered slightly damaged. So... Luckily, the core didn't ignite. I wouldn't have wanted to do that rescue mission. (laughs) I would have been very upset about that. (laughs) I don't think... I think that this one was more of a salvage thing. And once, like, the bombs already detonated and it didn't, you know, do an atomic blast, you're probably feeling a little bit better about it. No. But also, you know how much bomb ordnance people make in the military? Yeah, but a nuclear bomb? Like, you're literally being like, oh yeah, I'll walk into a a freaking irradiated plane with an undetonated nuclear weapon on it. Like, yeah, sure, let's do it. (laughs) I'm sure they wore two pairs of socks. They'll be fine. I don't think it's irradiated if it doesn't detonate, right? I think well, it can I think still it, leak. So, so if it detonates, yeah, that's the thing, is if it detonates, it uses up all the energy. If it doesn't detonate, then that radiation seeps out. Eh, it's from safe what I in there. It's safe in the bomb. Yeah, it's in the, it's in the, it's in the, it's it's in in the, the bomb. Case. You know, it's probably yeah, fine. yeah, yeah, yeah. So nearly five months later, another crash happened during a B-29's landing uh, to roughly the same re- result. The bomb exploded, but the core didn't. Mm-hmm. For the fourth broken arrow that year, Flight emergency caused a B-50 to drop a nuke containing no capsule into a river in Canada, making Canada the third country that we've dropped a nuke on. So let's keep a tally of that. Mm -hmm. We've dropped one on the U.S., dropped one on Japan, dropped one on Canada. Very nice. Okay. So the next Broken Arrow incident actually did come up. I feel like this is a good trivia question. How many (laughs) countries has the United States nuked? Yeah. Well, dropped a nuke on. Dropped a nuke on. Yes. That's important. That's an important distinction. So the next Broken Arrow incident actually did come a bit later, and that this time it came on the 27th of July, 1956. Nearly five years. Good job. Yeah, I was about to say, that is is a big gap. Yeah. Good job. That's good. We're improving. So also, this one occurred in England, which is why I made the distinction we're going to cover US and NATO. So this made them the second country to report a Broken Arrow. So, okay, I have a quick question. Did we give England a nuke, or did they make a nuke? No, we gave them nukes. Okay. We gave everyone nukes. Uh, I'm not sure how many places have actually developed their own nukes. I did not get that information. Okay. That's probably a separate episode, but that's... I don't know if England ever developed theirs just because there was no need. Yeah. Like, we're we're, we're cousins. Yeah. So, you know. Well, technically, they're our father. Our father. Papa. Our motherland. They're our motherland. And we're the angsty teenagers. We're the neckbeard teenagers. 
<laughs> I think Australia is the angsty teenager. Yeah. So yeah, this one occurred in England. So during this incident, a B-47 aircraft with no weapons aboard was on a routine mission making a touch-and-go landing when the aircraft lost control on the runway and slid off. When it did, it just so happened to crash into a storage igloo containing several nuclear weapons, which really seems like something that you shouldn't keep next to a runway, but, I, you know, who am I to judge? The bombs did not burn or detonate, which was extremely lucky and in part due to the quick response of base firefighters. An Air Force general at the time said that if the bombs had ignited in the fire and showered radioactive materials over England, that it is possible that part of eastern England would have become a desert. So they just got that fire out in time. That was a very uh, tense situation. There. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. I, dude, nukes are so scary to me. Nukes are one of the scariest things on this planet. Oh, yeah. They're just the delete button of yes. humanity. <laughs> and we have so many of them. Right. So before we get into the next one, I want to do a sit rep. So by 1957, the nuclear arsenal in the u.s had grown over tenfold so over 3,000 nukes uh, but much more importantly was the types of bombs that we had see at this point thermonuclear hydrogen bombs had been adopted by the u.s which kind of makes the bombs that we dropped on japan look like firecrackers the difference is vast and terrifying like look up a picture uh, because i don't feel like there's a good way for me to describe it over an audio medium but the difference in a hydrogen bomb and an atomic bomb is leaks it's insane so may 22nd 1957 we have our first broken arrow with the h-bomb and what better place for it than our own turf right here in the usa so on this day, a B-36 was transporting a Mark 17 10-megaton hydrogen bomb over Albuquerque, New Mexico, when a crew member in the bomb bay lost his balance due to turbulence. He grabbed hold of the manual bomb release lever to steady himself, causing the thermonuclear device, weighing 42,000 pounds, to fall through the closed bomb bay doors and plummet to Earth. He Mr. Beaned us into a... Into a nuclear explosion? See, see no, I went with... Uh, my next thing here was that crew member's name, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Uh. <laughs> you went with Mr. Bean. Mr. Bean's good, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, luckily, the nuclear chain reaction necessary to set off the bomb did not occur because the bomb's fissionable plutonium component was stored separately, still on the same aircraft, but, you know... Like five feet away from the bomb, I guess. I don't know. Great plan. Whoever works. planned that literally <laughs> deserves a medal. If he didn't get one, he should have. So, uh, however, the device's conventional explosives did detonate. And th just to kind of go on to how strong those conventional explosives are, it left a 12-foot deep and 25-foot wide crater on some uninhabited land owned by the University of New Mexico. Thank God. Okay, so... I'm sure we'll probably get there, but, like, every time I'm like, okay, where's it going to land? Like, who's going <laughs> to yeah. die? Is it going to be on a road? Is some dude just driving down the road and then he gets bombed? Like, what's going to happen? I mean, luckily, America is vastly uninhabited. I guess. Which, so I don't know if there's anything bad and what that's year is really this? happened in the U.S. This is 57. We're only in 57. It's been, yeah. like, a little over 10 years. Since since they were since invented, they were yeah. invented and we've already screwed up this many times. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh no. 
Uh, so the incident's only casualty was a nearby grazing cow, and the radioactive material did not spread beyond one mile of the crater. Yeah. So there was a casualty. We did kill a cow. We killed a cow. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and say, rest in peace, cow. R.I.P. You gave your life in service of this country, Colin kind is of. actively eating I'm beef eating jerky. cow right now. Orange oh, well. teriyaki sounds disgusting. It's not very Hopefully good. Hopefully it's not radiated cow. <laughs> It might well, be. I, I feel like no cow should be flavored orange, so it might be. So, in 1958, a B-47 bomber was on a simulated combat mission from Homestead Air Force Base in Florida. According to former Assistant Secretary of Defense W.J. Howard, this particular B-47 was carrying a live thermonuclear bomb when it collided with an F-86 Sabre fighting jet. The F-86 pilot ejected from the plane, which then crashed... Uh, but the damaged B-47 remained airborne, falling 18,000 feet before the pilot regained control. The crew, like previously, jettisoned the bomb in order to reduce weight and prevent the bomb from exploding during an emergency landing. Okay. <laughs> so they're like, forget it. We'll just we'll just bomb somebody else so that it doesn't detonate <laughs> when we're trying to land. Which, you know what? I can't say I would do it any differently. Luckily, they were flying over the ocean. Well, okay. So, there yeah. Yeah, so that's good. So the bomb landed in the sea near Tybee Island in Georgia. I've been there! Yeah, it's a, it's actually kind of a fun place. Uh, the crew didn't see an explosion when the bomb struck the sea, so that's good. Or maybe not. Uh, they managed to land the B-47 safely at the nearest base, which was Hunter Air Force Base. Between February 6th and April 16th, 1958... The Air Force 2700th Explosive Ordnance Disposal Squadron, that's a mouthful, and 100 Navy personnel equipped with handheld sonar and galvanic drag and cable sweeps mounted a search. That was a long sentence. Uh, but that they, is they to tried say, to find the bomb? They tried really hard to find the bomb, and they were unsuccessful. So there's just a bomb somewhere near Georgia. Yep. Great. Yep. <laughs> okay. Great. You know what? If it hasn't if it hasn't gone off by now, it's probably just turning all the fish around them into killer sharks or something. Yeah. Or like maybe some that? foreign actor came and like was like, We're gonna get that bomb and got it and we just don't know about it. You know, that's possible. Foreign actors like Sasha Baron Cohen. Why would an actor want a bomb? Okay. Alright. <laughs> <laughs> uh so that same year, on March 11th, 1958, a B-47 from Hunter Air Force Base, which is in Savannah, Georgia, just where that last, like, right near where that last incident happened, took off for the UK. This B-47 was carrying atomic bombs in the event the war broke out with the USSR. So, you know, stay strapped. Into their flight, the captain of the aircraft encountered a fault light in the cockpit, indicating that the bomb harness locking pin did not engage. He summoned the plane's bombardier to go inspect the problem. As the bombardier reached around the bomb to pull himself up to get a closer look, he accidentally pulled the emergency release pin, and the Mark VI nuclear bomb then crashed through the bomb doors and plummeted 15,000 feet below. He Mr. Magooed himself into a, into a broken, <laughs> broken arrow yes. That's the second time that someone's just like slipped and been like, whoops, with a bomb. With an H-bomb. They didn't it's fix ridiculous. the design flaw. They weren't like, oh, oh you can just 
Do this that. is a different design flaw. The first time it was a, an emergency <laughs> release lever. This time it was an emergency release pin. Very yeah, different. Yeah, they changed Okay. So beneath the plane, three young girls were playing in a playhouse in the woods. What? Hold on. What did you just say? So beneath the plane, okay. where the bomb I was understand dropped, that part. Three young girls were that playing one. in a playhouse in the woods. Okay, that's where I have a problem. Who <laughs> makes a playhouse in the middle of the woods? And then let your well, three I mean, girls a lot go of people. A lot of people live in the middle of the woods. You're from East Tennessee, you know this. People live out in the woods. Yeah, but like there's roads and stuff. Who makes a playhouse in the middle of the woods? Their family was there. The family was there. So it's it not just, just three alive. young girls. There's three young girls and their family. No, but they're the ones in the playhouse. And the playhouse was struck by the bomb. Uh-huh. So that's why that's kind of... Uh, Did any of the know, girls important. get hurt? We'll get there. Well, okay, yes. hold on. Uh, yeah, I was about to say, I don't think a playhouse, which is probably small, can get struck by a literal nuclear bomb. Uh-huh. And no one get hurt. Let's find out. Did anybody get hurt? It, it depends. It depends what kind yes. of defensive let's fortifications just... your playhouse has. Right. What true. kind of fortifications do they put in the playhouse? It's in the middle of the woods. Let's be serious here. What was the playhouse made out of? Was it adamantium? So uh, the conventional high explosives of the bomb, not the nuclear once again, detonated and destroyed the playhouse, leaving a crater 70 feet wide and 35 foot deep. Okay. So, so they were hurt. The mother, father, and brother of the two girls nearby were injured, and seven nearby buildings were damaged. But the girls All were three fine. girls, unfortunately, were, you fine. know, fine. injured by the explosion. Injured? injured just injured? A little bit? Yeah, just, a little yeah, bit. just injured. Like, just injured. Like maybe, like just bro- yeah. broken leg. No, they were just injured. They really Are were. I have no they idea. They did not yeah, die. Yeah, they did not die. What? Apparently they just got knocked. Hold on. A crater that was 70 feet wide and 35 feet deep did not kill anyone. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Children are indestructible. (laughs) (laughs) What? Okay. 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 I would love to have seen like one of those girls like at a party at a party like 20, 20 years later. They're like, you know, I was nuked once. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so what? the united states air force <laughs> or yeah. the usaf yeah we're familiar with which, them which yeah, yeah, right. yeah we know yeah but they're, I, they're, I understand the, that they're the military with the planes yeah. yeah uh they were sued by the family of the victims uh-huh you nuked our daughter <laughs> yeah and uh they received uh fifty four thousand dollars from the u.s that's government. it fifty four thousand dollars <laughs> We, sorry, we nuked your three kids. Sorry. Here's fifty-four thousand dollars. This is 1958, so it's I nearly five hundred thousand dollars in today's money, which is still uh, okay. low. Uh, no, I think that's fair. I think it's, you it's think, still you a little think low because no one died. No one nuked is five hundred thousand dollars. No one died. They damaged seven buildings and injured the entire family. No Excuse me, I don't know this for a fact, but I just imagine that the Air Force's entire argument, their lawyers came out there, and they were like, we did not nuke them, we dropped a nuclear bomb on them. It's different. <laughs> just the conventional yeah. explosions Right, bomb. it was not, it was, uh, oh, there so, was no so fission It was just involved. a regular Listen, bomb. Guys, we only conventionally blew up these, this family. <laughs> we didn't nuke <laughs> you the know family. What? We only used conventional explosives on this family. Yeah. <laughs> 
I think that's that's kind of a uh, that's kind of a, a dark mark on the on the U.S. Army. They they conventionally bombed someone and no one died. The United no, States this Air isn't Force. the Army. This is the Air Force. The Air Force. That's okay. Still, we don't still. let the army have bombs. Still, no. I don't think I don't think we actually did ever let the. I think only the Air Force handled Air Force and Navy handled nukes. Somebody got. I'm not no, sure about that. What I'm saying is. Someone got demoted over this because they said we conventionally bombed someone and no one died. <laughs> so, yeah, that one's that one's fun. Five hundred thousand dollars, though. If you get hit by a nuke and live, get at least five hundred thousand dollars because it's precedent. So, nineteen sixty-one. We're kicking it forward. A B-52G was flying near its base at Seymour Johnson Air Force Base in Goldsboro, North Carolina. For some reason, all these things happen, or a lot of them happen, like, on the east coast of yeah. the south. Like, can, can we talk about the fact that it's, what's the name of that base again? Seymour Johnson? Seymour Johnson Air Force Base. Seymour Johnson, Johnson. that's Come a made-up name. Seymour Johnson? That's a made-up name. <laughs> I should have gone back. I have to Google it. I have to make sure I didn't get memes. Seymour I have Johnson. to make sure I... <laughs> oh, no, it's real. Oh, my God, it's real. Oh, if I was in the Air Force, I would want to be stationed you there. You want to be stationed to Seymour Johnson? <laughs> so, uh, at around midnight, uh, between the 23rd and the 24th of 1961... The B-52 was found to be rapidly losing fuel from its right wing. The pilot in command ordered the crew to abandon the aircraft, which they did at 9,000 feet. Five out of the eight men on the plane landed safely after ejecting or bailing out through a hatch. The crew's final view of the aircraft was in an intact state with a payload of two Mark 39 thermonuclear bombs still on board. These bombs would end up separating from the aircraft as it began to spin in its descent. The aircraft wreckage covered a two-square-mile area of tobacco and cotton farmland 12 miles north of Goldsboro. The bomb that descended by parachute, which was the first bomb, was found intact and standing upright as a result of its parachute being caught in a tree. Okay, this is a more general question. Why are we flying so many nuclear bombers so close to our country? Like, what, in what situation do we need to nuke something that close to us? At this point, I think that a lot of, like, the, the bomber planes just carried nukes. Because if you're in the air and the U.S. is Why are there bombers white, flying over our country all the time? Uh, because they got, they got a station somewhere. You can't fly them over Russia, or Russia will, like... Right, but why fly them at all? Why not just keep them stationed at somewhere near? Nah, why not just keep them stationed they still in have Alaska? Stuff to do. Because if Russia nukes all of our air stations, then we don't have like they can't take off exactly. in time. Like they got to so be in the air point at time, all time. But uh, but South Carolina, I, how is that strategic? Because you can fly to Europe and then fly to Russia. I don't know what they were doing, but I don't think that we're in a position to be able to understand military logistics right now. So, Lieutenant Jack Reville, who was the bomb disposal expert responsible for disarming, you know, this thermonuclear bomb that just landed in a tree, right. said that the armed safe switch, which, you know, armed safe, kind of yeah. like a gun, yeah. uh, was still in the safe position, although it had completed the rest of the arming sequence. So, literally, it came down to if it had hit a branch and it flipped it, 
South Carolina would have gotten nuked. Yeah. Okay. By a thermonuclear bomb. Great. Love it. And that's why you always put your safety on. Very important. (laughs) (laughs) The second bomb plunged into a muddy field at around 700 miles per hour and disintegrated without detonation of its conventional explosives. Although the bomb was partially armed when it left the aircraft, an unclosed high-voltage switch had prevented it from fully arming. In 2013, Lieutenant Jackerville recalled the moment that the second bomb switch was found. So this is the safety that we're talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. He said, until my death, I will never forget hearing my sergeant say, Lieutenant, we found the arm safe switch. And I said, great. He said, not great. It's unarmed. So the luckily the first bomb had the safety on. Mm-hmm. The second bomb happened to hit the ground going so fast that it ripped the bomb apart so the bomb couldn't explode. If its parachute had deployed, probably would have exploded. My God. Yeah. <laughs> it's bonkers. How have we not nuked ourselves yet? I don't like, know. We're getting really ha- lucky. I feel like there's all these like, there's all these like safety mechanisms that we're putting on them. And they're like, good. In case one of these ever falls, it likely won't detonate. And then we like accidentally drop like 10. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, right. But we, but guys, we didn't detonate any of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's, that's true. No, we uh, did actually. We detonated them over the ocean, though, so it's fine. Conventional. <laughs> the yield of each of these bombs that, you know, almost exploded was more than 250 times the destructive power of the Hiroshima bomb, uh, large enough to create a 100% kill zone within a radius of 8.5 miles. If just one of these bombs had detonated, nearly 30,000 people would have been killed and thermal radiation would have infected 15 square miles of land. Imagine there just being, like, a, a section of the U.S. you just can't drive through. Like, no, you just don't want to go in that area. You mean, like, a section of Ukraine that you can't drive yeah, through? Chernobyl? Okay, so that's different. So that's different, because a nuclear bomb uses all of its nuclear energy to make an explosion, whereas the Chernobyl meltdown... There's a reason you can still live in Nagasaki and uh, there was There was still nuclear waste spread through these places. There was, but it dissipates. Like, I mean, whereas Chernobyl, you know, is going to be hundreds of years before we can live there again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because there's still active... There's still a, a big old lump of uranium or plutonium that's in critical. And, yeah. And, uh, right, yeah. So it's still burning. Okay, so sit rep number two. The year is 1965, and the U.S. now has 31,149 nuclear bombs. And this is the most that we would ever have at one point, within like a few bombs. So on the 5th of December that year, 1965, the aircraft carrier USS Ticonderoga... USS TikTok. Like the pencil. Ticonderoga. Like the pencil, the black pencil you used for the tests. Yeah. Is that called a Ticonderoga? Yeah. The Ticonderoga Black Warrior. It's so good. It's the best pencil. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I saw the name Ticonderoga and I was like, it's I have no best idea pencil. where that came from. It's called the Black Warrior. Okay. If you want the best you pencil, you get that one. The Ticonderoga. Do you think they named the Ticonderoga after the aircraft carrier or the aircraft carrier? I'm sure carrier they're. After I would the say there's another thing else. that yep. they're both named after. Yep. <laughs> no, no. In my head canon, the guy in the 
in the Navy who's in charge of naming boats was just like writing down names of boats. And then he got, he, he, he looked down at the pencil he was writing with. And then he ran out of ideas and he was like, ah, Ticonderoga. That works. <laughs> right after he named the black warrior. Apparently it's from, it's from an Iroquois word, meaning it is at the junction of two waterways. <laughs> So there okay. you go. <laughs> That's where it comes from. <laughs> Is there not an English word for a junction of two waterways? Yeah, it's called a fork. Oh, yep. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, a fork in the river, that makes sense. But a junction, they would be coming together. A junction, you come together. A fork, you split apart. A fork's going apart, yeah. There's probably a word for it. <laughs> Regardless, so the Ticonderoga was off the coast of Japan when a A-4 Skyhawk attack jet just fell over the side during a training exercise. They just dropped a jet. Neither the aircraft's pilot or the payload were ever recovered, uh, including its B-34 nuclear bomb. It was not until 1989 that the Department of Defense revealed the loss of a one megaton H-bomb, a fact which really pissed off the Japanese government considering they expressly prohibited any nuclear bombs from passing through their territory. So, that's fun. And that's the one that went on to create Godzilla. Oh, very nice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. They didn't know about that one. I feel like Godzilla had already been a thing for like quite a while by that point. In 65? Yeah. I think Godzilla... The first Godzilla movie? Hold on. It came out They're in the pretty 60s, old, dude. So... They're, it was black and white. No, I know, but I think, no, I think it was like the first Godzilla 50s. was not black and white. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. 54, yeah, Godzilla. And it was in black and white? Yep. In 1966, a B-52 began its mission carrying four B-28 thermonuclear bombs on a Cold War airborne alert mission named Operation Chrome Dome. Uh, which I've heard is of this. pretty which cool. Which is, name. you know, I've, I I feel like I can relate to this operation. <laughs> so this operation was a readiness mission in which a B-52 would fly from Seymour Johnson Air Force Base, North Carolina, to the borders of the USSR and then return. Seymour Johnson, yet again. Uh, the lengthy flight required two mid-air refuelings over Spain. Over I'm sorry, what? Spain? Over Spain. So they're they're going the long way. Yeah. Well, they're going from North Carolina to the USSR. I'm not sure if that's a long way. If in your, yeah, if you're I feel like yeah, Carolina. no matter what, it's the long way. <laughs> I feel like it's just the opposite of the world. I mean, it's just a long flight. You're going over the Atlantic. It's smaller than the Pacific. And you got to think if you're trying to hit a major city in the USSR, yeah, you, you want to be on the European all side. the yeah. way across Russia. Yeah, yeah. So, on the 17th of January, 1966, same year, while flying at 31,000 feet, the bomber commenced its return aerial refueling with a KC-135, and during this, catastrophe occurred. The B-52 collided with the refueling plane, with the nozzle of the refueling boom striking the top of the B-52 fuselage, causing the KC-135 to explode and the B-52 to lose its left wing. All four men on the KC-135 and three of the seven men on the bomber were killed. Hold on. The bomber lost a left wing and only and less than half of the people on it died? Yeah. How the Air hell shoots. does that happen? I guess, but still. Like, that's not. I have no idea. That's I, I a bet lot. It was, I bet they were a little 
anxious. Yeah, you think getting so? Getting out of that plane. Yeah, they're, they're plane full of nuclear weapons. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all this has taught me that if, if you know, if you're on an Air Force plane on a nuclear preparedness mission, like just be standing by the door, mm-hmm. just stand by the door with a parachute on. I can, do my, I can do my job from over here. Yeah. <laughs> so lost during the accident, in addition to, you know, the lives of those people, were four B-28 thermonuclear bombs. The aircraft and weapons fell to Earth near a fishing village of Palamore, Spain. Three of the weapons were located on land within 24 hours of the accident. The conventional explosives in two had exploded on impact, spreading radioactive contamination, while the third was found relatively intact in a riverbed. The fourth weapon could not be found despite an intensive search of the area. The only part that was recovered was the parachute tailplate, leading researchers to assume that the weapon's parachute had deployed, which is good, and that the wind just picked up the bomb and carried it out to sea. Which is great. You love it. 150 qualified divers searched 120 feet with compressed air, 210 feet with mixed gases, and 350 feet with hard hat rigs. After a search that continued for 80 days following the crash, the bomb was located on the 17th of March, but was dropped and temporarily lost again when the Navy attempted to bring it to the surface. The bomb was located again on the 2nd of April, and this time brought to the surface. Francisco Simo Ortz, a Spanish fisherman who had been enlisted to help find the bomb, and did help find the bomb, might I add, appeared in New York shortly after with his lawyer, Herbert Brownell, who was formerly Attorney General of the United States under President Dwight D. Eisenhower. See, Simo Ortz was claiming salvage rights on the recovered thermonuclear bomb. Wait. Salvage rights. Yeah. So, salvage rights is a customary maritime law that the person who identifies the location of a ship to be salvaged has the right to a salvage award if that identification leads to a successful recovery. This can be extended to other things that might fall off a ship, um, and it's pretty standard. And the reward is typically 1-2%, to you know, something like that. Now, this bomb had been appraised by the Secretary of Defense at $2 billion worth. So, Simo Ortz asked for 20 million bucks. 1%. He only asked for 1%. Right. Mm-hmm. Why are we appraising the value of a bomb? Insurance. <laughs> Does America insure their bombs? I mean, we know how much it costs to make. There has to be a paper trail for the tax pe- right. taxpayer's money. I well, guess. I mean, there's supposed to be a paper trail for the taxpayer's money. It's for the budget, Michael. It's for the budget. Damn accountants. The and their numbers. They had appraised it before Simo Orch showed up. Right. So I'm sure it's and just I'm something sure they, like I'm sure they upped the value. They're like, oh yeah, this Bob we made two, two good, two kajillion dollars. And then Simo Orch comes asking for his cut and they're like, uh, that's a it's lot of It's only worth like kidding. three dollars. I was just kidding. Have you seen this? Uranium's Six bucks cheap, each. Bro. Yeah. So yeah, regardless, uh, the Air Force ends up settling out of court for an undisclosed sum. Of course, but I'm sure that Simo Ortz uh, was fine. Yeah, I he, mean he was a he was a fisherman in a poor Spanish fishing that they like, irradiated that they yeah <laughs> literally they like ruined. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, Spain, chalk it up. It's on the list. Okay, yeah, another country. United we've States, Japan, Canada, Spain. Got it. 
Yeah, United States, Japan, Canada, Spain. So far. Japan again. But you can't count Japan again. (laughs) Well, first time was on purpose. Second time was right. But well, I mean, in that case, we can count America a whole bunch of times. Yeah, we can. So four days after the accident, the Spanish government under Franco's dictatorship stated that the Palomares incident was evidence of the dangers created by NATO's use of the Gibraltar airstrip, announcing that NATO aircraft would essentially no longer be allowed to fly over Spanish territory either to or from Gibraltar. And that's kind of a big deal just because of how much space that takes up. Yeah. So on the 25th of January, as a diplomatic concession, the U.S. announced it would no longer fly over Spain with nuclear weapons, which I don't feel like is I feel like it's something you should ask permission rather than saying, oh, we'll stop doing that. But, you know, I guess better to ask for forgiveness. Right. On the 29th of January, the Spanish government formally banned U.S. flights over its territory that carried such weapons. Has that continued to this day? Well, it's, they've had a government change since then, so I'm not sure. But I imagine they still don't want us flying nukes over their country. Yeah. Like, they remember the Palomares incident. Okay. So, after Spain, however, in this incident, the 1966 Palomares B-52 crash had a substantial impact. See, this was widely publicized, and world perceptions of nuclear weapon safety were... Very heavily scrutinized on the news, world over. Yeah. Um, I'm sure NPR did something about it. (laughs) So it appears that the U.S. has been running a tighter ship ever since this incident. Now, while I didn't come close to covering all the Broken Arrow incidents, of the 32 that have occurred since 1950, only 10 occurred between 1970 and today. And only four of those involved the U.S., so we got better. Okay, perfect. Uh, the 50s and the 60s were our big streak where we were just accidentally dropping all the bumps. Or we got way better at covering them up. That's true. Maybe. <laughs> so while that still isn't great, it certainly has been less interesting as far as a podcast episode. So, you know, that's where I kind of draw the line on Broken Arrows. That's where we're cut it off. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, in a military landscape that's been more focused on cyber warfare and drones like we are today... Still don't discount the fact that you can still very easily die from a nuke dropping on your head, and likely it'll be an accident when it does. Because, yeah, still, I mean, okay, this is a stupid question, but I'm still going to ask it. Still, the only official nuclear weapons detonation has still just been the two, right? Yep. It's the only time we've ever... Well, I mean, the only two... I mean, there's been a lot of nuclear weapons detonations. But, I mean, like, the ones that we've used in... But Subrox. Have we ever used Subrox as, like, a... Um... Yeah, those have been detonated. I, no, I don't as think in, that there's... like, to, to destroy a an enemy submarine. No, I don't believe so. No, okay, we've never I used... Think the only we've thing... never used a nuclear weapon to kill another person. Except for those two times back in 1945. Correct. Wow. That's yeah. kind of surprising to me. Um, I think once the USSR had them, mm-hmm. it just became a, a line you don't cross. Yeah, like uh, and like, still like, like, like gas bombs. It was a line that we very nearly didn't cross, even with Japan. Yeah, so I don't think anyone was super happy to be the one to make the decision to drop that bomb. Yeah, so. and also, um, our air force is really good at killing people without nukes. That's true. Like really good at it. Yeah. Well, also, I would I would prefer my military be more of uh, precision 
Yeah. Yeah. Than yeah. Yeah. No, that's broad just... strokes kind of yeah. killings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And the Air Force is great at that. They're so good at just like drone striking random people. All exactly. The time. And that's where we are now. So we're not really toting around as many nukes yeah. anymore, uh, especially since. But Russia that doesn't fell. mean we don't still like kill kill civilians. You know, like I mean, I mean, we'll just we'll just we'll just drone strike civilians all right. day long. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but we're not nuking. That's them. not imp- that's not what the that's not what the takeaway is. What I'm saying is we don't nuke civilians anymore. Correct. No, what I'm saying is as soon as like our military arsenal started to go down, we don't so nuke civilians incidents. on purpose anymore. Oh my goodness. Are you ready for after notes? I would love to do after notes. Okay. So in 2004, retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Derek Duke, which is just another <laughs> stellar name. Like, I I love it. Alliteration in a name. Yeah, that's great. Uh, he claimed to have narrowed the possible resting spot of the bomb that was lost off Tybee Island down to a small area approximately the size of a football field. He and his partner located the area by trawling in their boat with Geiger counter and tow. So essentially, uh, have y'all ever been uh, trolling? Yeah. Fishing? So yeah. like they're dragging it behind with the line. Yep. Secondary radioactive particles, four times naturally occurring levels, uh, were detected and mapped. And the site of the radiation origination was triangulated. Subsequent investigations found that the source of the radiation was natural, originating from monzonite deposits. I don't know what so, that means. Uh, Monzonites, uh, just naturally occurring like radiation, radioactive stuff. Lots of bananas, so many Bana- bananas. <laughs> the most bananas you've ever seen. It's just some radioactive rock. <laughs> okay. So, uh, well, that's that's what the Air Force says. So, yeah. I mean, that's right. Who knows? That's that's what they say. So, uh, I I I kind of trust the Air Force. It seems like they've been fairly transparent since 1980 with all this stuff you know Cayman, this is the second episode in a row where you're you're just like talking about some like naturally occurring poison that's happening in the soil <laughs> <laughs> the earth is trying to kill us as much as we're trying to kill it man that's true that's all i'm saying <laughs> so on april 11th 1968 a soviet diesel powered and i know i, I said i wasn't going to talk about the ussr but i had to bring this one up had to bring it up the uss arsenal yeah, so a Soviet diesel-powered golf-class ballistic missile submarine sank 750 miles northwest of the Hawaiian island of Oahu. Uh, U.S. intelligence determined that the submarine had been carrying three nuclear-armed ballistic missiles and several nuclear-tipped torpedoes. The CIA then decided to partner with industrialist Howard Hughes to build a specifically designed deep-water salvage ship called the Glomer Explorer to recover the lost sub. Mm-hmm. They were only partially successful when the Glomer raised approximately half of the submarine. I think that's still a big deal. Half a submarine's probably pretty heavy. Yeah. Good job, Howard Hughes. It just depends on what half. I mean, if you got the half that didn't have any of that stuff in it, like, that's not very impressive. I'm not sure if they uh, released the details of what all they picked up. Yeah. (laughs) So, who knows? I didn't get the chance to cover all these, but all in all, the U.S. has lost six nuclear bombs. I'm just throwing that out there for any aspiring treasure hunters. And I just ask that you give me 5% of your 2% finder's fee for turning you on to that. So go out there, try and find that bomb. That's what I'm saying. That Monzonite deposit, is that true? I don't know. No. Maybe let's get down there, try and pick up that bomb. 
so, get that reward money, yeah, baby. We will 100% take an undisclosed amount. Yes. We <laughs> love undisclosed amounts. Yeah. Uh, right now we're getting no amount. So undisclosed amounts just fine. I can see I could 100% see the US government saying, "Look, you're looking for 10 million. We don't want to tell anyone that you're going to get 10 million. We'll give you 11 million to just make this go away." <laughs> <laughs> At this point, at this point, the government or the like military is making so much money uh, from the government. They, I, I doubt eleven million would be much to them. That's what I'm saying. It's like I'm sure they have a budget for like paying people off. I mean, you know, you know how much a jet costs. Exactly, like, it, it's a it's, lot. It's absurd. It's absurd. I mean, it's not absurd. They're amazing. You get what you pay for. Yep. You know. Yep. That being said, this episode is sponsored by Boeing, Honeywell International, Lockheed Martin, and Northrop Grumman. <laughs> yeah well those are the four companies that make nuclear weapons <laughs> so finder's fee for the bomb please uh my last after note and this was just because uh i, I kind of skimmed over the last uh instant that we had the last time that there was a broken arrow instant involving the u.s uh was in 1992 so we've made it nearly 30 years I, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to give us a pat on the back. There you go. All right. Good job, America. Good job, for us. Not we, we, did we didn't accidentally nuke anybody for 30 years. None of us were born at the time. Zero of us <laughs> were born at the time. But you know what? We did yeah. it. I think when we got born is when... That's when they were like, look, off. look, yeah. this is the greatest generation. We got to make sure that this is a better world. These people aren't going to deal with it. You cannot call us the greatest generation. We you were. can't say that. We are the greatest That's, generation. These guys no. are going to make a podcast and exactly. they will rat us out. We have got to stop. <laughs> <laughs> they, they know what we've done. <laughs> oh no, three losers might say something bad about us. <laughs> and 30 people might hear it. <laughs> so congrats to everyone who's hearing it right now. You know the truth. You you know. Go the tell truth. all your coworkers that <laughs> you you know what they're trying to hide from you. Uh and but oh, something else I want to toss out there. Reading through Patriot Act stuff. Oh, or wait, no. wait, wait, what was what was the name of it? Yeah, the where Patriot they released Act. all the stuff. Yeah, Patriot Act stuff. And I know that you've done it previously for some episodes, Michael. And I had to do it a lot for this because like I said, they've no, 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 no. You're talking about FOIA. Freedom of Information Act. Oh, yeah. So yeah. FOIA, FOIA, FOIA. Yeah, Patriot Act um, is when they tried to restrict everybody's access to everything. Right. Yes. FOIA. I know that you've read some... Freedom of Information some, Act, uh, yeah. Yeah, I know you've read through some FOIA stuff. Well, well, here's the thing is like FOIA, it's not like they released everything at one time. Like FOIA means right. you can say, look, I'm paying for this. I should be able to see what you're doing. You have to request yes, it. Yes, you have to request it and then they redact the shit out of it. But yeah, you Regardless. Can, yeah, yep. They released a lot with this and reading Freedom of Information Act, like released information, makes you feel like a nut job. Yes, it really does. It makes you go insane because I was just staring at white paper exactly. like, on my computer screen. It's just, like, and it's there's still, so many It bugs. still looks like it's been typewrited out, even though it's like oh, it no, came it from like been. 1990. Like you're like, you had a computer. Yeah. Oh, no, it was all typewritten. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's all that I have. Hopefully, in my next topic, I will move on from not even government conspiracy, just government We've stuff. We've got it. Because... I'm really glad you did coming next. We're going to say something oh, yeah. nice. It's going to be so great. Yeah, we're going to say some nice stuff. I, I'm so excited to say something great. And also, before we close out tonight, 
today, this morning, you know, whenever you're listening to this. Uh, I do want to thank one of our listeners for actually turning us on to the idea of this episode. So this was a listener submitted idea by C West. So thank you, C West. We appreciate it. All right, everybody. Yeah. So that's uh, all the times that we've dropped nukes on people that didn't want nukes dropped on them. So yeah, if you want to go ahead and follow us on Instagram at I really wish you hadn't. And that's about it. We are not doing anything else. We do have email. Send us episode ideas. Send us your thoughts. Send us your dreams. Send us send hate us mail. Hopes. Send us hate mail. Send us, you know. Send us pictures of your dogs. Yes. Dogs. Cats. We would love we pictures like dogs. of your dogs. Cats, rats. Cats. Uh, dogs. Gerbils. Mice. Lizards. Whatever you have. Hamsters. You. Pictures of send you. Send us Octopi. pictures. Don't send us pictures of you. We don't want to see you. You're ugly. No, we don't want that. That was so mean. You're beautiful. I'm sorry. Don't listen, you look great. I, listen, we'll take email so of anything. Great. Email me I'm your sorry. shopping this list. It's taking so long. Email me a picture. Okay, here's what I want. Here's what I want. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I'm going to go ahead and say it, guys. I know you don't want me to, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. I want a picture of you holding a jar of peanut butter. Yeah. That'd be great. What? And all of those pictures are going to go to <laughs> podcast at I really wish you hadn't.com or IRWH.com. Either one works. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and until next time, eat a jar of peanut butter all by yourself with a big old spoon. Yep. And take a picture and send it to us. Take a picture. Why um, peanut butter? I don't, I don't... He asked for it. Play, play us out. Play us out. Play us out. Play us out. Even if you're allergic to peanuts, you don't get eat to the say until butter. next time eat, on eat, that part. Eat That's the, the social butter. media part. Eat the peanut butter. You can't say that. You cannot. Do not eat the peanut butter. I need a song. We have to cut that. I really wish you hadn't. Is hosted by me, Michael Bentley, and Kevin McMahon. We are produced by Colin Moore. Intro and outro music by Attack Story. Give us a rating on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us too. Go ahead and subscribe there. We should just take all this stuff from another episode. Just do it. Do it all. It's fine. And until next time, great. Comments. Doesn't matter. It's all good. This is why I don't drink Tilo when you're recording a podcast. It's Cinco de Mayo, okay? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's no rules. Like, Cayman. Okay, I would like to take this moment to go ahead and apologize to Cayman that he decided to record this episode on Cinco de Mayo. Really, we were supposed to record it on the weekend. His fault. This is my fault. It's kind of my fault. I'll take partial responsibility. (laughs) But we did record for Cinco de Mayo on a second year in a row. It was a mistake. We shouldn't have done it, but we did it anyway. And I hope that you enjoyed it. I know that we enjoyed it. Me and Colin enjoyed it at least. Oh, yeah, we like it Cayman probably didn't. But you know what? Um... I would like to. So I've got a lime right here, Colin. If you've got a, uh, if you've got some tequila handy, I do. Yeah. We're gonna um, run out of our outro song. It doesn't no, matter. You guys have to no, do this got, quick. We've got another. We got another three minutes and forty-four seconds. We're okay, good. We've got a. We've got more outro music. I mean, look, attack story. Okay, look, attack story he, is a great albums. is a great ally. He's, he's got, got albums. albums. Got albums. Go check. Look him up. I mean, he's on. Please um, do. He's he's on. Yeah. Uh, SoundCloud. He's on. He's on SoundCloud. And like, go go look him up right now. His website is in every episode that we use this music. Uh, every it's episode, so good. That's every episode. Literally, yeah, 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 yeah. Just go look him up. It's so good. Okay, so I've got some salt right here. Colin, yeah, are you ready? I think ready? the takeaway from this episode is that Cinco de Mayo is about more than drinking tequila. It is, it's but about you the know time what? Time that the Mexican kicked the French's ass, and we can all respect they that. They sure. kicked the Spanish's ass, but yeah, I agree. No, it was France. Was it really? Shit, can we do that as our I'm really glad you did? 
We'll have to double check that. That might be a good sure idea. That'd be good. Okay, so I got some salt right here. I got some tequila. Con. Are you ready? Tequila right. shot. Okay. Let's go. Nice. Ah, that was good. Yeah. All right, and I know that it's not going to be seen good to my when you listen to this episode, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. Until next time, go ahead and do a tequila shot. When's the last time you did one? They're a lot of fun. Saw a shot line. It's it great. may have been on Cinco de Mayo. If it wasn't, actually, it doesn't do matter. It. Was do or it wasn't, do it anyway. And as or always, just eat a lime if you want. Limes are delicious. Limes are also delicious, even if you don't drink. Look, I don't want you to feel the need to drink. Just. Eat a, eat a lime. lime. Eat, eat a lime. lime. And until next time, eat a lime. And as always, <laughs> eat a lime. <laughs> <laughs>